This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. This past Monday, the world learned of the passing of a true comedy legend when it was announced that Carl Reiner died at the ripe old age of 98. For any young people listening, let me tell you a little about him. Carl Reiner first attracted national attention way back in 1950 as Sid Caesar's multi-talented second banana on the television variety show Your Show of Shows, for which he also was a writer. A decade later, he created The Dick Van Dyke Show, one of the most celebrated sitcoms in television history, and teamed with Mel Brooks on the hugely successful 2,000-year-old man records. His novel, Enter Laughing, became both a hit Broadway play and the first of many movies he would direct. Those movies included Where's Papa, Oh God, starring George Burns, and four of Steve Martin's best and earliest films, including The Jerk and All of Me. Carl Reiner was the third person to receive the Kennedy Center's Mark Twain Prize for Humor, and he also won praise and awards as an actor as well, with memorable roles in films like The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and more recently, Ocean's Eleven and its sequels. But aside from his accomplishments on screen, he was also simply one of the loveliest human beings on Earth. I got to know Carl over the years and had him on the show a couple of times, as well as his son, Rob Reiner. I spent time with him at his home in Beverly Hills, sitting in the same chairs where he and his best friend Mel Brooks had dinner and watched old movies almost every night. I listened to him regale me with stories from the golden age of television, tell me the most hilarious jokes, and carry on about the politics of the day, especially Donald Trump. Well into his mid-90s, he delighted in showing off how he could still climb stairs without assistance, and he led me around his office, where he continued to write books and tweet to the very end. I last saw Carl when he was 95, and even then, he was really just a big kid in an old man's body. Carl Reiner was a shining example of a life well-lived and lived with passion long past the age when most people hang it up and stop trying. In the words of his buddy, Mel Brooks, Carl was a giant, unmatched in his contributions to entertainment. I met him in 1950 when he joined Sid Caesar on your show of shows, and we've been best friends ever since. I loved him. When we were doing the 2,000-year-old man together, there was no better straight man in the world. So whether he wrote or performed, or he was just your best friend, nobody could do it better. He'll be greatly missed. A tired cliche in times like this, but in Carl Reiner's case, it's absolutely true. He will be greatly missed. End quote. My heart goes out to Mel and to Carl's family. So without further ado, here's a conversation I had with this wonderful man in 2017. There will truly never be another Carl Reiner. I'm delighted to talk once more with comedy legend Carl Reiner. He starred alongside Sid Caesar on your show of shows and Caesar's Hour, as well as in the Ocean's Eleven films, many guest appearances on television, including his Emmy-winning guest role on Mad About You, and of course, the 2000-year-old man albums, which earned him and Mel Brooks a Grammy. 
He created, produced, and wrote for the beloved sitcom The Dick Van Dyke Show, which ran for five seasons, earning nine of his 12 Emmy Awards. He's also a prolific writer-director whose credits include Oh God, Where's Papa, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and some of Steve Martin's best movies, including The Jerk, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, The Man with Two Brains, and All of Me. At age 95, he hasn't slowed down yet. He has a new book called Too Busy to Die and a documentary about thriving in your 90s called If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast, which airs on HBO Monday, June 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Mr. Reiner, it's great to talk to you again. And I'm so glad you told me the date because people ask me and I don't know. Now I know it's <laughs> June what? Uh, June 5th, June Monday, 5th. I think. It's coming right up. So... <laughs> Well, we talked a year ago about your book, When and Why the Dick Van Dyke Show Was Born, and you said you're feeling great, so count on coming back to talk about the next book the same time this year. Now here we are. You have a new book, very appropriately titled Too Busy to Die, and of course the documentary. You certainly haven't slowed down, have you? Well, I, I'm slowing down, but not, not stopping. <laughs> down but not out. As a matter of fact, I got two more books coming out after this. Fo um, photo books, and they're, they're so wonderful to look at. Um, when you finish, you come upstairs and say, I'll show you what we're doing. Yeah, what are those about? Well, one of them is called uh, The Movies I've Loved Since I'm uh, Five Years Old. It's about movies I've seen. My first movie that I saw was Faust when I was five years old, six years old. And every movie I saw that informed who I became. Mm -hmm. All the movies I've seen, I have the posters of them and uh, four little clips from them. And they're, they're fascinating. It's like eating peanuts. <laughs> you can't stop. Yeah. And I'm doing a new one, which is approaching 96. The pics the I viewed, I love viewing and love doing. So huh. it's all the pictures I've Love seeing and the ones I okay yeah done. you're a big movie buff it sounds like oh, uh, yeah. I heard that you and Mel Brooks watch movies practically every night yeah, together that, that or just Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune can't miss those <laughs> what kind of movies do you guys like to watch well we used to say any movie that we used to love the Jason Bourne movies we just oh, yeah. adore those any movie that has the phrase secure the perimeter <laughs> get some sleep. Well, your new book is a collection of anecdotes, short stories, opinions, and it also covers a lot more of your early years and your start in show business. I didn't realize this, but you wanted to be an opera singer when you were a kid, right? Not a comedian. Yes. Well, my father, two things. I wanted to be a, an opera singer and also an Irish tenor. My father, who had a friend <laughs> uh, named Max Calfus, a very dear friend, had a brother, and he, we still listen to him every uh, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock on WOR. He would come on and say, Hello, this is John Calvin. Going to sing songs my mother sang to me when I was a wee lad. <laughs> I love those songs, by the way. The first one I remember hearing is Tumble Down Shack in Athlone. Oh, I want to go back to that tumble down shack where the bright roses <laughs> bloom round the door. Anyway, and I said to my father, so I said, I'd like to want to be an Irish tenor. He says, you can be a Jewish tenor. But, <laughs> yeah. so the, but and then my father had a lot of, um, you know, classic records, violin records, but he loved Caruso, as everybody did. Mm -hmm. Maybe the greatest tenor who ever, ever, ever lived. Yeah. His recordings are done on, you know, not an orthographic, and so 
even on those, you can hear that he had reached heights that nobody ever reached. His notes were fuller. He was anyway. So I want to be an opera singer. The only problem is I sing uh, off key and out of <laughs> rhythm, and otherwise I would. I've got the voice, but yeah. not, I've since then I've improved, I've improved a little. I've improved a little. <laughs> so you were a Jewish New Yorker who wanted to be an Irish tenor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. You know, having watched this documentary, uh, it seems that you still like to sing a lot. That's one thing that I noticed, that all of the people that you talk to, like Dick Van Dyke, your buddy Mel Brooks, everyone who makes it into their 90s seems to sing a lot every day. Yes, (laughs) You think that's part of the secret? I sing in the morning when I get up. I'll I'll test my voice to see if the... The operatic tenor is still there. Recitar mentro preso delirio. I start that way, and then I know I'm all right for the day. Yeah, you're holding up pretty well, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think I read in the book that one of your first girlfriends, you sent her a bunch of Caruso records. Yes, you know. When she went home. Yeah, she was from Oklahoma and didn't know about opera. <laughs> Did she like Caruso? Yeah, well, she found out that it's it's worth listening to. Yeah. Yes. And, and I'm trying to remember, you met her when you were doing summer stock, is that right? Yes, she was a, an apprentice in the summer stock theater. She was the one who came up and said, I, I just love you. Because I did the Basil Rathbone to The Devil Passes, and it was a very flamboyant role. And <laughs> that became my, she became my girlfriend for the summer. When somebody she yells at, I love you. You say, okay, I <laughs> yeah. guess I can like you back. <laughs> well, I was interested to read that you got your first acting break through Roosevelt's Works Project Administration yeah, during the, the Depression. The WPA, I keep uh, telling people that those who say that, you know, get off the government's back, I said, that's what government's for, especially during hard times when people mm-hmm. need work. And more people became what they are, engineers, bridge builders, uh, artists, uh, painters, actors, because the government, in this case, uh, I, free acting classes at 100 Center Street. It was a little wow. ad my brother saw in the New York News. Huh. And I went down there, and this is Mrs. Whitmore taught, taught a class for free of, uh, you know, actors and want to be actors. And that was the beginning. Yeah, because it's funny. I knew that the WPA built roads and post office, Tennessee Valley Authority, but I never knew that they created jobs for actors and writers and directors, too. Oh, my God. Some of the mo- yeah. most beautiful murals and post offices were mm-hmm. done under the WPA for artists who were out of work. Now, what did you do during the war? You were a telegrapher for a while? Is that I was right? a, um, a, in, the mes- in the message center. It's a... Um, it's a not... <laughs> Not a tele- telegrapher. I was in first. Uh, I did the uh, Morse code note, but then I became a uh, uh-huh. message center. A, um, tele- a tele- Teletype? No. Okay. Jesus. That, isn't that <laughs> funny? I, these, that's what's happening lately. I lose words. I lose uh, more than words, but uh, it'll come back while we're talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, yeah. At, and at one point, you got sort of drafted into their entertainment unit, right? How did on, that come On my about? way to, which I didn't know was Iwo Jima, I was on oh. a detachment, wow. and we are on in Hawaii going someplace the following day, and I went to see a, a GI version of Hamlet that my friend Howie Morris, that oh, yeah. I was, that I met during another 
uh, WPA project, the NYA radio workshop, $22 a month. We got paid for the government for doing radio shows. And uh, so again, the government came in. And Howie Morris, I went backstage and I said, Howie, you were great as Laertes. And he said, do you have an act? I said, I do actually, because in the Army you couldn't, you couldn't do Shakespeare, you couldn't do So I worked up an act. I had a comedy act. And I said, but I'm going someplace tomorrow. I can't. Uh, and my friend, Saul Pomerantz, who was with me, said, why don't you? Maury Sevens was the head of the, the um, entertainment section. And Alan Ludden was his captain. And they said, why don't you work, do your act for them and see how good you are to, for professionals. <laughs> I went down. And I really killed them. They said, but we'd like to have you with us. And I said, I can't. I'm going someplace tomorrow. And I didn't know where at the time. This is very interesting. I trained with these guys for a year in the message, you know, tele, as a teletype operator. Okay. Yeah. For a whole year I was with these guys. And um, and they and they, he, they transferred me out like they traded me like a ball player. <laughs> and this is like a bad movie. One year later... I'm now entertaining the troops all over the Pacific, Saipan, uh, Tinian, Guam, Palau, and Awitak, wow. going all over for one year where, with a show that I wrote some sketches for and did a stand-up. And on VJ Day, this is like nobody could believe this, on VJ Day, we land in Iwo Jima where all my buddies are. I have kept in touch with them, but I didn't... I couldn't believe that there I was, a star of a show, playing for my old buddies who I hadn't, <laughs> and was celebrating the end of the yeah. war. It was like a, you know, nobody could believe that. Do you ever think that if that hadn't happened, you might not be here? Oh, you of might course. Be on a when uh, I learned about Iwo Jima four days after it happened, nobody knew about it yet, the mm. invasion of Iwo. But my friend Saul was sent a note back. A guy was being carried from the beach, a Marine who landed first. He was hurt, and I, I, I gave him, uh, uh, my friend uh, put a note on his stomach. He said, would you mail this V-mail? Wow. And I got a letter four days. He says, <laughs> there, and the letter said one thing. He, we were both atheists. He says, there are atheists in foxholes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was in the foxhole when he wrote that letter. <laughs> now, I, I read that when you were entertaining the troops, you did impressions. And actually, I guess throughout your career, you've done impressions. Yeah, yes. Who did you do? At that time, I could do, uh, well, I did Charles Boyer. I did Jimmy Stewart, uh, Kim Tamirov, uh, Ronald Coleman. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I did... When I auditioned for Maury Sevens, I did Maury Sevens doing Shakespeare, yeah. spitting as he was. He spit, <laughs> spit a lot as he talked. Do you still do any impressions? <laughs> I can, but I don't. Okay. Well, in well, your... Well, like, I, I still can do uh, a Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, Stewart <laughs> I, I can still do. Well, yeah, he, he lived not far from here. Was he kind of a neighbor of yours? <laughs> he was, but I, I didn't know him. Either. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in the book, you talk about confronting a racist sergeant when you were stationed at Camp Crowder, Missouri, during the war. Yeah, what that was there? interesting. That was uh, I wrote it in first. I put it in this book, but I had it in another book called uh, "How uh, Paul Robeson Saved My Life" and "Mother." <laughs> another great opera many star. Happy stories. Yeah. <laughs> what happened is, in uh, we were in, there was a non-commissioned officer school for 
for us that we I was going to become a corporal and we had to go to the school. That was in the barracks. And there was a black uh, uh, group there, and they didn't have a special place. So they lived in the same barracks. The only place where we co- cohabited with with uh, African Americans, they lived upstairs, we lived downstairs, but we had a common latrine. And one day in the latrine, I'm chatting with a, a black gentleman who was very, very bright. He was, he was, you know, really college educated, had degrees. And we were talking about something very interesting to me. And he was expounding, and, I, and I'm asking him questions. And when I got back to my bunk, one of the racist Southerners, said, uh, we seen you talking to that nigger. He called him a nigger. Wow. And I, he said, you th- I, see, I said, yeah, he's, why are you talking? I said, well, he's a very bright man. I was having a wonderful conversation. He said, you think a nigger can be as good as a white man? I said, well, this, I certainly, he says, you name one that's as good as a white man. I'm not kidding. He said, name one. And on top of my head, I said, Paul Robeson. And he said, what'd he do? I said, well, he was a, uh, he was a, an all-American football player at Rutgers, and he speaks five lines. And he said, I could, I'd put, I could put myself up against any black. And, and I said, really? And there were guys there. And I said, we kept score. I said, he, he spoke 12, six languages. Or so he did, I think. Wow. Six languages. He said, I speak American. I said, okay, one, <laughs> one, one. I said, one, uh, one. I said he graduated with honors from Rutgers. I never went to, to, to college. <laughs> two, two. And I, I went on like Still this. A tie, you know, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he was on, on Broadway. He did, uh, you know, um, a, king, um, a, a king. showboat, right? In, in that, or, no, no, no. Okay. He played Shakespeare. Shakespeare. No, he played uh, um, the Moor. Who was it? Oh, right. Um, uh, Othello. Othello. I say he played Othello on Mm -hmm. Broadway. (laughs) I never seen the play. Five, five. You know, he went on like this. At one point, he said, "I'm a graduate embalmer." Embalmer, like corpses, right? Embalmer. (laughs) I said, "Oh, oh." I said, "This is not fair." You held this till the end. I said, "As far as I know, (laughs) Robeson." Can't embalm it. I say, give him a finger. He wouldn't know how to embalm it. You win. Anyway, the guys were laughing. At night, we're in bed and, and was sleeping in top bunks. And, uh, and I hear this voice, Rana, with a lot of Ys and Rana. You a G U and more Ys and J Y Y E. I said, oh, oh, I said, yes, why do you ask? <laughs> Oh, first he said, you want to step outside with Uh carbines. That's the first line. (laughs) Want to step outside? I said, why? He said, we'll settle this. I said, no, we'll settle nothing. I said, I'm a track shot. We walk outside before your finger's on the trigger, you're dead. And I have to go to, (laughs) I'm I'm in jail for the rest of the, anyway. Were you a good shot? No. (laughs) No, I'm just lying. I'm just lying. And 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 everybody's laughing, you know. (laughs) And then and then got Rana, you you. That was the big one. I said, "Why do you ask?" He says, uh, "In Texas, where he lives, the, is you know Goldfarb." I said, "Who? I, uh, Alfred Goldfarb." He figured every Jew every knew Jew every knows Jew. Each other. He lives in Texas, <laughs> and then he said, "He's not a bad guy." That was it. I learned l- later that he ran for uh, the Senate. 
And Why I does said, that not surprise me? Yeah, and, and I said uh, at the very end, I didn't know to whether it was the state senator or the, yeah. you know, the nation. I don't know to worry for his state or my nation. <laughs> <laughs> These days he might win. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll return with more when we come back in just a moment. Hey folks, technology is constantly changing. And if you have a business like I do, you know all too well that you either change with it or you die. It used to be that a company didn't exist unless it was in the phone book, and then a company didn't exist if it wasn't on the internet. But nowadays, people are spending less time on their computers and more time on their mobile devices, which means it's absolutely essential to have an attractive and easy-to-use mobile app. If you're looking for a product design and development company to help you build your next app, Mutual Mobile is the company for you. Mutual Mobile has designed and built over 600 mobile and web apps powering many Fortune 500 companies and high-growth startups around the world today. Founded over 10 years ago, Mutual Mobile has partnered with Under Armour, Clorox, Alamo Drafthouse, KitchenAid, and more. This company is the best-kept secret of web design and development. Well, at least until now. Now, we all know about the pain of hiring a freelancer or a new employee only to find out months later that it's not a fit, but Mutual Mobile has a refined process so they get it done right the first time. And if you're anything like me, that's precisely what you need. Because what do I know about creating a mobile app or what customers are looking for in that sort of thing? I'm no tech whiz. And who wants to spend all the time and money to build their own team? That's not efficient. But that's exactly why Mutual Mobile is such a lifesaver. Spanning business-to-business, consumer, and industry segments, their teams champion custom digital product management, user experience best practices, visual and interactive design, and integrated technical operational development capabilities. Mutual Mobile's teams work alongside their partners from strategy building to product delivery to create impactful and scalable mobile experiences. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Mutual Mobile at mutualmobile.link slash kick to get started. That's mutualmobile.link slash kick. Hey folks, I am so excited to talk to you about my new sponsor. I've been recommending chili products to friends for years now. They literally changed my life, and now I am a true believer. Did you know that one of the most effective ways to get better sleep is through temperature regulation? Chili makes both the Chili Pad and Uller, two really cool gadgets that fit over the top of your mattress and use water to control the temperature of your bed. Since water is more thermally efficient than air, Chili Sleep Systems can help lower your internal temperature to trigger deep, relaxing sleep. The Uller is controlled through an app on your phone with smart scheduling, a warm awake feature, and a UV light to auto-clean, while the Chili Pad is simply controlled using a remote. Ever since I started using my Chili Sleep System, I've noticed I fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. Whether you like to sleep a little warmer or cooler, you can customize the temperature for you and your side of the bed. Chili products offer a temperature range between 55 and 115 degrees Fahrenheit to suit every sleeper. I used to get horrible sleep. I'd wake up several times a night, hot, sweaty, and frustrated, tossing the comforter off. But then my wife got me what is to this day still the very best birthday gift that I've ever received, 
a chili pad, and I've slept like a baby ever since because it keeps me cool all through the night. It's not uneven like air conditioning. It cools me right in my immediate space where I sleep, and now my sheets actually hold the cool in rather than making me hot at night. Now, if you, on the other hand, like to sleep warmer, chili has you covered there too. But for me, there's just nothing like getting nice and cozy when it's chilly. Sometimes I even take my chili pad all the way down to 55 degrees, and I love it. Chili really did change my life for the better, and it'll do the same for you. And right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilitechnology.com slash kick, you can get $150 off any sleep system with code kick. That's C-H-I-L-I technology.com slash kick with code kick for $150 off any sleep system. One more time, it's chilitechnology.com slash kick and offer code kick. Folks, you've heard me talk before about how much I love my chili pad. I'm so happy that they decided to advertise on the show because I have been sleeping cool with their patented chili pad for a couple of years now, and it has dramatically improved my sleep. One of the most effective ways to get better sleep is through temperature regulation. Chili makes both the chili pad and the Uller, two really cool gadgets that fit over the top of your mattress and use water to control the temperature of your bed. Since water is more thermally efficient than air, chilly sleep systems can help lower your internal temperature to trigger deep, relaxing sleep. The Uller is controlled through an app on your phone with smart scheduling, a warm awake feature, and a UV light to auto-clean, while the chili pad is simply controlled using a remote. Ever since I started using my chili sleep system, I've noticed I fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. Whether you like to sleep a little warmer or cooler, you can customize the temperature for you and your side of the bed. Chili products offer a temperature range between 55 and 115 degrees Fahrenheit to suit every sleeper. Me, I love to sleep nice and cool. Sometimes I even take my chili pad all the way down to 55 degrees, and I love it. Before I got a chili pad, I used to wake up a few times every night and throw off the comforter because I was hot and had night sweats, and it was just incredibly uncomfortable and frustrating. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Well, that's what I have air conditioning for. But AC isn't always consistent, and sometimes the temperature in front of the vent is different from the rest of the room. But Chili Pad keeps it at the exact temperature I desire consistently and right in my immediate space. Chili changed how I sleep for the better, and it'll do the same for you. And right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilitechnology.com slash kick, you can get $150 off any sleep system with code kick. That's C-H-I-L-I technology.com slash kick with code kick for $150 off any sleep system. One more time, it's chilitechnology.com slash kick and offer code kick. Warning, high-potency supplements aren't for everyone. But if you're intent on continuous improvement and accomplishing health and wellness goals, then you need to meet V-Thrive, the vitamin shop brand. These quality vitamins, supplements, and more are simply clean. No magnesium stearate, stearic acid, or titanium dioxide. Zero artificial colors, flavors, or sweeteners. Visit vitaminshop.com forward slash podcast or any of the Vitamin Shop stores to level up your health routine 
and show your body some major love with solutions like Active Flex Plus, featuring clinically studied ingredients like a Preflex and types 1 and 2 collagen to help fuel healthy joints, tendons, and ligaments and deliver results you can feel. Discover their most advanced formulas, bioactive men's and women's multivitamins, with immune-supporting vitamins C and D plus zinc and everything else to fill in the nutrient gaps. And explore heart-healthy, full-spectrum fish oils made from wild-caught, U.S.-sourced Alaskan pollock. Plus, new for 2020, advanced nootropic formula for cognitive function, energy production, and up to five hours of improved alertness. Find them all and more at vitaminshop.com forward slash podcast. That's vitamin, S-H-O-P-P-E dot com forward slash podcast. Or visit the Vitamin Shop store near you. Well, last time we talked about uh, your show of shows and the most famous writer's room in TV history. I meant to ask you at the time, and I forgot, I once heard that the producer of your show of shows, Max Liebman, couldn't stand Mel Brooks. Is that true? Yeah, well, Mel Brooks was obstreperous. He was noisy, and we all knew he was the funniest guy in the room. Uh, He didn't work for Max, but he worked for City. He gave him jokes for $15, $20, (laughs) and 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 when he finally did get on the payroll, Max started to pay him. He would come in late, and then when he come in, he slide across the room, and he was obstreperous, and he says, "Safe," you know, <laughs> like he would fall, fall on the floor, and uh, so. But we finally, Max finally accepted him. Yeah. He happened to be the funniest man around in the world. Yeah, I heard that he used to throw lit cigars at Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah, he, he he was. We all smoked cigars because Sid yeah. smoked them and Max smoked them. I never smoked cigars, and I said, "Well, I, I'm going to get." I might as well give myself my own smoke rather than smoke this. <laughs> and now, I don't know if this is true, but didn't Mel Brooks claim that he based the character of Max Bialystok and the producers on Liebman's personality? I think he did, although Max Liebman was a real good producer. Right, very and successful. Bialystok was a fraud. Yeah, a schmuck. <laughs> yeah, a fraud. Yeah. Um, well, you and Mel, of course, became famous for the 2,000-year-old man Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that of all people, Cary Grant was a huge fan of the two thousand year old man. Well, when the when the book when the uh, we weren't sure that uh, this would go for all people because it was a a, a Jewish accented com- comedian. It was five four years after the war, mm-hmm. and the Jewish accent that you know yeah. the Jews were maligned. So we we did it only for friends at parties, and, um, and people would make parties, so we get to do it. And we did it in the office. And uh, finally, was, we were talked into putting it on a record. Steve Allen actually put it. He said, you got to put it on a record. Mm-hmm. And we did. And when we put it on a record, uh, I was uh, universal at the time making movies. And Cary Grant had a bungalow next to mine. And one day he came by and I, I said, Cary, I got something I might be interested. I gave him an album. And he came back the next day. He says, I loved it. He says, uh, can I have a dozen? I said, why? I'm going to England. I says, you take this to England with you? Yeah, they speak English there, he told me. He came back and says, she loved it. I said, who? <laughs> he says, the Queen Mother. I played it at Buckingham <laughs> Palace. And I told Mel, well, we're in. I said, the biggest chicks in the world. We love the album, so we're okay. 
<laughs> well, in your book, you tell a story about you, Eva Marie Saint, Brian Keith, and Norman Jewison flying back up to Northern California to film The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. You had something of a close call, huh? Well, we were sitting in a one, a one, you know, one engine plane, and and there was it was a rainstorm, and we were flying very low, and at one point I think it was even where he said let's let's get a bus or so, go to back to New York, I mean back to California, and he he made a quick bank, and the the little cargo door, a tiny little door with four or five inch wide opened up at the back of the plane where Norman was sitting. We were sitting on two seats. He was sitting on a little jump seat behind <laughs> us, a little seat that f- fell down from the, you know, you, know, yeah. you t- turned it down from Hold the wall. And all of a sudden I reached back, I and mean, I heard the whoosh, and I reached back and I can't feel Norman. I reached behind <laughs> me. I said, uh-oh, we lost Norman. What had Norman <laughs> had done is he had put his body outside the plane to get the handle of the door to pull the door shut. So he was hanging outside. Oh, my God. And he put the door shut. <laughs> and I, we, found, we, we realized we, we had Norman back. <laughs> and, of course, he's famous for yeah. directing and writing oh uh, Fiddler God. on the Roof. What a, what a all kinds force of, of nature he TV was. and film. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to talk about this new HBO documentary of yours called If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast. Does that title sort of sum up your philosophy of life at this age? It, it, the, the original thing, by the way, my nephew-in-law, George Shapiro, came up with this concept. Right. It was called uh, um, Vital at 90. And he went all over the country finding out people who were over 90 and still active doing things. And uh, I always said in the morning, I, the first thing I do is read the obituary. If I'm not in it, I'll have breakfast. And he t- I told him that, and he told somebody, he said, that's what the title should be. If you're not in the obit, eat breakfast. George Shapiro really conceived and got the, everybody mm-hmm. together. He worked like a dog, and it's one of the best produced things you'll ever see. And it's because yeah, it's of excellent. George Shapiro. Yeah, and apparently you had a little bit of a scare one day because you— actually did open the obituary, and you did see your picture in there, right? I know. I did. Well, and there I was in a tuxedo, looking very good, standing next to Polly Bergen, who had passed away. Yeah. And I said, oh, my, I was sorry to see she went. I worked with her a few times, but I, I thought to myself, Polly Bergen had a lot of wonderful people in her life. She had good affairs, you know, married. Mm-hmm. I said, why did they pick a picture? Couldn't they pick a picture of somebody in her family instead of yeah, with me? Yeah, or a headshot? Yeah, yeah that, that's so crazy. <laughs> well, what do you think are the most important keys to longevity and thriving in old age? You seem to have it figured out. Have a reason to get up. I, mm-hmm. Right now, upstairs, I'm doing two new uh, photographic books, and I, I can't wait to get up and have my um, graphic editor Putting together, what we, it's it's just thrilling, and I, and I, and then this book, uh, Too Busy to Die, came about because I finished the book and I didn't know what to do, but it's always, <laughs> and now after I finish these two books, there's two of them, as a matter of fact, one going from when I was five years old at Army, and the other one going to right now to what picture I might see tomorrow. And I'm saying, what do I do now? And I think mm-hmm. I have an idea for something, but I really? won't say it. And, no, because it may not work. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is your daily routine like? Walk us through that. 
Oh, well, right now, I you see it as you get older. I used to walk around the block, and then I walked halfway around the block. Now I get on the treadmill for 10 minutes. Not a treadmill, a uh, stationary bike for 10 minutes. Wow. That's about it for the... And I walk up and, up and down stairs, and I mainly stay in the house, and I don't go out to lunch and dinner anymore. Mm-hmm. People come here. If I have to go out, I did something that I threw a thrill to do a couple of months ago. I did Oceans 11, 12, and 13, and there's a new one coming out with uh, Sandra Bullock is doing with, with women. Oh, really? And she asked me to do a scene <laughs> with her. It was just a few-minute scene, but I went out and— and I was able to tell her that she is my favorite actress. I just love really? her. There's nothing she can do that I don't find. When she did The Net, and that one first movie I saw her, mm-hmm. my God, her and a computer just telling you everything. Her face lit up the screen, just, and you knew what yeah. she was thinking. Wow, so you're still acting. That's great. I love, that was a little bit I did there. Hey, it's it's better than nothing. Yes, and I was able to tell her how I felt about her performance in, in uh, the movie she made yeah. about uh, with uh, getting married. What is it called? Uh, oh, proposal. Oh, okay. The proposal. Yeah, the proposal. The yeah. proposal. There we go. Yeah, I knew you were going to think of it faster than I yeah. would. <laughs> that was such a delightful movie. Mm. Well, I once heard some experts say that the key to reaching 100 years old is resilience and your ability to cope with loss and tragedy. You know, when you get to the age where you never know when you're going to find a friend of yours in the obituary that morning, how do you handle that? Well, I, I, when I read the obits now, I, I say, I look at the age and I'll say, look at the date they were born. Mm-hmm. And I say... Got you beat, got you beat. Oh, you beat me, you beat me. Mainly <laughs> I got them beat. Yeah, no. <laughs> People don't seem to be going at 80, 83, 85, mm-hmm. 89. Once in a while, you get uh, in Georgie's uh, uh, thing he's got a hundred year old marathon runner yeah i wonder when you do see people that you know pass away like polly bergen in in their 80s do you ever think to yourself what did they do differently than i did how come i'm here and they're no i i always wonder how i'm gonna go i don't know oh really i would love i would love to you know go to sleep and uh, not wake up but uh it's not the other day i was thinking oh oh, maybe this is it because my pulse was very low i take my pulse my Mm -hmm. my I got blood pressure with a cuff. Here it is, the one right here. <laughs> and and I I'll, I didn't take it today, but I'll say what was on yesterday. Yesterday, 129 over 75. And that's what it okay. usually is. And, but one day it was, for some reason, lower than, than ever. And I said, oh, this is it. Maybe that's <laughs> you just slip out under the door. <laughs> well, one person in the documentary says that one of the keys to longevity is to have a lot of face-to-face interaction with another human being, they say five to six hours during their day. You hang out with your best friend, Mel Brooks, almost every evening. Do you think that those hours spent together have extended both of your lives? I, I'm sure it has. Yes, if you if you have no reason to get up, you won't get up. And he, he's been sick for a week or two, and he hasn't been here. He went to New York and oh. did a lot of performances which he he packs stadiums with people to talk <laughs> to make fun with he shows his blazing saddles and he he really wrecks them and he hasn't been here for a week and it's so it's sort of lonely but yeah i have this uh, thing going upstairs that keeps me going yeah. 
Now, have the two of you ever thought about writing a book together about your friendship? No, never, yeah. never thought about that. Or friendship in but general? But he's, he's in uh, this new book. Of, uh, well, you'll see there's uh, photos of every picture that we've uh, I've ever <laughs> loved, it, and there's a number yeah. of his in it. Well, you know, I have to think that there's no greater expert on longevity than the 2,000-year-old man. Have right. you ever asked him what the 2,000-year-old man would say is Never the key? Never touch fried old foods. Age? <laughs> Never touch fried foods, <laughs> yeah. huh? Never run for a bus. Yeah. yeah he, he has a bunch. Every time I ask him that question, he gives me a different answer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> well, I follow you on Twitter, and I don't think a day passes when you don't have something to say about Donald Trump. So I fear that I'd be shortchanging you if I didn't at least give you a minute here before we wrap up to vent about the new president. Well, you know, I think he's uh, uh, his own weight is pulling him down now. He's so many people are going to be testifying very soon next mm-hmm. week, six days or something. Uh, uh, he is. It's unbelievable the amount of things he's gone go- doing outside of the presidency is going to be found out. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got deals with people all over the world, and they'll all be found out. He is the sleazy. I cannot believe. I, there was somebody made a, uh, Alan Alda's grandson made a movie, a little movie, the best thing I've ever seen. I wake up every morning, and I'm first thing I turn on think, see what Trump is up to. And so the story of this movie is the kid wakes up, or the young man wakes up, and the first thing he goes is, ah, he starts to scream. <laughs> he goes about his business, but he keeps screaming. He brushes his teeth, he washes, he goes to the toilet, but he screams. He goes out, he, he drives his car, he waves people across the street, still screaming. They're screaming. He meets a girl at a supermarket, a woman at a supermarket, ah, they're all <laughs> screaming. And that is what everybody's doing, uh, every Thirty-eight percent of the people, a thirty-eight percent approval rating now, and I really feel sorry for the people who voted for him, and now he's going to drop uh, Meals on Wheels, and yeah. and he's going to take the you know, minimum wage. Yeah. I can't believe what he's, and he's doing it all in the name of billion and awful, the amount of billions he's going to be able to get from the lowering of the taxes. It'll lower very few taxes at the bottom. You and it's told. People to talk about it, but nothing seems to happen. He's still there. Well, you know, you're someone who firsthand experienced McCarthyism and had a number of friends who were right. victims of the blacklist. Right, right. Looking back at that and these people who were wrongfully persecuted for their political beliefs, does it shock you to now look and see that here we have a guy who seems to have frighteningly suspicious connections to Russia, and he's oh, occupying the White House? I know. No, there's no doubt that he's—everybody knew that he had uh, something going on. And Hillary Clinton, who I thought would be our president, and who got three million more votes than he did, mm-hmm. and we have this antiquated— uh, Electoral College, which was put in place for people who, in in little uh, communities who couldn't read or write, so right. they had an Electoral College. For, that should be done away with. We would have had a, a woman who was a Secretary of State, who, one of the brightest people. If you ever saw her d- documentary, you realize that yeah. at 16 she was working for children on her own. She took it up upon herself to help. Poor kids that you know needed reading, writing, or food. She's an extraordinary woman, and 
And I, I, that's one of the saddest things, that she didn't get to be the president. Well, before— Lock her up, he said. And now <laughs> yeah. he, he, should yeah. be, he should be locked up. We shall see. Well, before we go, when you came down at first, uh, you told me that you figured out the meaning of Kofifi. <laughs> what did you find yes, out? Yes, well, you know, he, he tweeted something, C-O-V-F-E-F-E, Kofifi, Kofifi. Yeah. And I said, what does that mean? And I said, well, maybe— Ah, then I realized he might have gone one letter down down from the original word, which uh-huh. the original word is benuded, B-N-U-E-D-E-D, if you go one letter yeah. up. So he wants to say benuded. He's benuding the world, the country. He's taking clothes <laughs> and food out of people's eyes. Benuding us. It should be denuded, but he doesn't even know that. (laughs) Well, you figured it out. I would like to say one thing about the book that is you'll never see any place else in the world. I have written here a story, a love story, and it has the longest title of any. It's a (laughs) full-page title, but the, the story is in the largest font ever seen in a literary work, <laughs> the font allows only for five words on a line and 12, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, 10 lines on a page. And it's a really beautiful love story. Yeah. And never been done. The largest font ever used in a uh, in a Okay. Is this a, a nod to 90-year-olds or what, what was the intention with that? <laughs> well, the other thing that I, I, I might even read it to you. If you oh, it's absolutely. the end of the book, which is, you know, I, as I said, I'm an atheist, but I did say something here. There are 15 things about the Almighty that are never mentioned anywhere. I personally know that he has a chronic back condition, his knee joints ache, he's allergic to shellfish and mustard, his prostate is knee moderately enlarged, he often sings off-key, he hates wars but can't think of a way to stop them, he loves to check out a woman's legs as she passes by, he is upset by the unfair distribution of wealth, he loves to laugh, he gets goosebumps when a tenor hits a high C, he hates... That comedies never win Oscars. He loves sushi, especially unagi. He hates talking to anyone wearing a tongue ring. He would like to replace the Ten Commandments with one commandment that covers everything. Thou shalt not hurt anybody. How do I know these things about God? I am man, and I was told that he created me in his image. And there, and there's what he looks like. <laughs> Is that it's you? Actually that, a young me Carl in, Reiner in, with the picture mustache. Picture me at 20. <laughs> and, and everybody who wants to know what God looks like, just yeah. put, your, put what you feel and, about and what you don't like and do like and put uh-huh. your picture there. That's, in the what, mirror. <laughs> that's what God looks like. Looks yeah. like you. And on the front of the book, you have this terrific bow tie. Uh, I almost wore a bow tie today just for you because you say that actors can tie bow ties, but directors can't. Huh? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, and as a matter of fact, that's um, uh, we, Mel and I were watching uh, The Scoundrel with an old coward. Oh, he yeah. was tying a, you know, a tie. And he's look how adept he is at that while he's talking. I said, every actor can do that. When I was a kid, <laughs> I got my first tuxedo with the play on stage. And so I, 
I was telling him that at a Directors Guild, I did 25 years of Directors Guild award dinners, emceeing, and I said one day I was standing next to David Heller, who was our oh, yeah. pr pr president, and I said, you're wearing a clip-on? He says, yeah, and I says, that's the difference between directors and actors, and I opened my tie, and I said, <laughs> I'm wearing, and I said, how many directors are wearing, and everybody raised their hand, yeah. and I started talking about the fact that actors, when they're young, they have to learn, they're wearing clip-ons in those uh -huh. days, and all of a sudden, I got a big hand, and I didn't realize <laughs> what it was for. It was for that while I was talking, I, I tied my tie again without a mirror. <laughs> Now, what is the secret to keeping it straight? Because I always, I can tie it, but it's always it's crooked. It's exactly like a shoelace. Mm -hmm. Keep adjusting it. Just keep adjusting it till it's till it's absolutely straight. Yeah. And you'll be able to do it. <laughs> well, where can people order "Too Busy to Die"? And I think that you'll even sign it for people, right? I will. I'll personalize it if you. Uh, you check randomcontent.com. Okay. Go to one of those purveyors of. I'll be very happy to personalize it. Great gift. <laughs> it sure Wonderful. is. Well, yeah, and the documentary, If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast, airs on HBO on June 5th, Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Mr. Reiner, thanks so much. Thank I appreciate you for, your talking to me. Now come upstairs and see what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> and that was my pal, the great Carl Reiner. Man, how he made us laugh. And man, how he will certainly be missed. Meet V-Thrive, the vitamin shop brand. These high-potency vitamins, supplements, and more are simply clean. That means no magnesium stearate, stearic acid, or titanium dioxide, and zero artificial colors, flavors, or sweeteners. Try their selection of heart-healthy full-spectrum fish oils made from wild-caught, fresh, U.S.-sourced Alaskan pollock. Find these and more at vitaminshop.com forward slash podcast or visit the Vitamin Shop store near you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us while you're there. Five-star ratings and detailed reviews are one of the best ways for new listeners to discover the show. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod and recommend us to your friends on your social media. For more fun stuff, visit kickassnews.com and I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass News.